we'll read verse 28 of chapter 12 through verse 8 of chapter 13. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's take one more moment to pray. Holy Spirit, who inspired this word so long ago, we pray that you would come in power right now on this very day that you would fan into flame the faith that is within us, that you would make us to feed on the very word of God, that you would change and transform us from one degree of glory to another as we consider what you have here written in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine with me, if you will, standing at Barnes & Noble in front of the self-help section of books. And of course, within that self-help section with all the different authors and all the different topics covered that fall under the category of self-help, really is an awful lot of wisdom. And what I'm about to say is not disparaging of self-help books. It's not saying there's no, no place for them at all. But imagine with me, if you will, standing at the self-help section of books in Barnes & Noble and realizing that in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, you have infinitely more than all that is offered in that entire self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Look at what occurs in these two verses, our text for today. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Think about the freedom that is not only offered there, but commanded. Free. Free from the love of money. Not living according to the worldly standard of what your net worth is or isn't, but free from that. 
Live in a way in which you are free from the standard of the world, free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. It's astonishing how much is in self-help books about Thanksgiving. We knew it all before the latest, greatest guru and writer ever wrote it. God says, be thankful for what you have. Be content with what you have, free of the love of money. Look at verse 6. So that we confidently say, the scriptures is concerned with your confidence. Not a misplaced confidence. Not a confidence that comes from your net worth or your accomplishments or abilities or achievements but a confidence that comes with saying my help is in the name of the Lord the Lord is my helper and then look at how verse 6 concludes I will not be afraid what will man do to me not just saying hey The good life is one in which you're not living in fear. But a basis, a reason, a rationale for not living in fear. A reason for fearless living. So as we look at verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 13 today, our outline, our headings are really just a a key word outline of these verses. Freedom from the love of money, freedom, contentment, confidence, and fearlessness. Freedom and contentment we find in verse 5. And just kind of take account of this because this idea that you should be free from the love of money is entirely tied up with who you claim as Savior and Lord. It's such a humbling thing to stop and and to just realize who we are and all of the possessions and wealth that we have and all of the blessings and affluence that we partake of. It's really remarkable and humbling to stop and think, who, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Who is it that rightfully owns all of the possessions, all of the wealth, all of the riches of this world? Jesus Christ. Because he was the one who said, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the heavens have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the reason I think it's so helpful just to stop there and to sort of take focus on Jesus Christ himself is because When it comes to money, when it comes to possessions, when it comes to uh, the wealth that we have acquired, it's so easy, tempting, knee-jerk, spontaneous to just look around and evaluate one another and to immediately think, well, I have less than this person and I have less than this person. I don't have as much as that person. That person has so much nicer of a car. That, That person has three cars and I only have two that person's entire college education was paid for. Well, I had to go into debt for my... You evaluate based on what's around you. And instead, I'm saying, look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, 
who is king of kings and lord of lords and laid it all aside so that he could be your savior. And as he lived on this earth, he should have been worshipped as king of kings and lord of lords and had rightful ownership of every last possession available. But instead, was homeless. Foxes have a home. They have a hole to hide in. Birds have nests to live in. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of man, had no place to lay his head. So when you come to the word of the Lord saying, here is what life in God's kingdom looks like, God has every right to say, be free of the love of money. It has no place. Lay it aside. Experience the freedom from the tyranny of the dollar bill. And really think for a moment about how much life fact, how much money does indeed factor in to your life. What is the influence that m- concepts like savings and net worth and properties? What is the influence that plays on your life? Is that where you find your security? Do you go to bed feeling good about things at night because of what your net worth is, because of all of the insurance policies that you have, because of where your savings is, because you don't have outstanding bills? Are you up at night? Because of debt, because you're not sure where, how you're going to pay your bills, because of various financial concerns? Is money the ultimate source of your feeling of security? Do you think of your status as being a derivative of how much money you have? Is who you are tied up with the sort of house that you live in? The sort of possessions that you have? Let's just be honest and acknowledge that finances is a way for us to keep score. It plays a role in our identity. We consider who we are as a derivative of how much wealth we have. And this verse is saying you are called to bigger, better things. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, has spent his own precious blood on you to purchase you, something that could never be purchased with money, your salvation. Be free from the love of money. Be unshackled by identifying yourself in terms of wealth, money, and possession. No matter what society says about these things, don't allow that to define you. Hear these words from Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son 
but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Do you see why that should destroy materialistic, worldly ideas of identifying yourself by wealth and riches and money? Completely apart from your effort. Completely apart from all that you earn. Completely apart from all of your wealth, all of your opportunities, your status, your abilities, your social standing. Completely apart from all of that, God looked through the corridors of time and said, you are worth my son, my divine blood. I will become a man and bleed and die to save you from your sins. You are looking to Jesus Christ in faith. That's true of you. How could any acclamation of possessions even begin to be significant in light of that. In fact, Paul, Paul realizes that. He says, if he's already given you his son, how will he not with him freely give you all things? Maybe that's not where you're at right now. Maybe there's debt. Maybe there's bills. Maybe there's the need for uh, employment or better employment. But Paul's saying, like, he already gave you Jesus Christ. There's no possession that's going to be greater than that. There's no wealth that's greater than that. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Be free of the love of money. Live in this unshakable kingdom as a committed citizen, knowing that he has already given his son for you. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Be free from the love of money. Also in verse 5, be content. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And, you know, it's almost uh, can take you as an audacious sort of command and comment. And and I think here we can compare it to the self-help books again, that all assume certain things about their audience, that the audience has something to bring to the table. But this, it doesn't say, well, if you have money in the bank or if your retirement plan is where you want it to be or if you have a college fund for each of the kids, or if you have an automobile in working order, or if you're living in a nice house, then be content with what you have. No, instead it's written to persecuted, beleaguered Christians saying no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstance, be content with what you have. And you see, that's the real recipe for contentment and freedom from the love of money. You take all of your circumstances, no matter how difficult they might be, And you turn it over to God in prayer saying, Lord, you've commanded that I be content with what I have. Here's what I have, including my debts. Teach me, Lord, to be content, to rest in you, to know that because I have you, 
I can say at each point, no matter which, what situation I'm in, no matter what my circumstances, I can say, I have Jesus and all this. I have Jesus and all this. Imagine being a rock star with over 50 years of being a rock star and a net worth of over $500 million from being a lifelong rock star. Making a living by singing, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> I try and I try and I try and my 50 years, over 50 years at the top of the world, tasting of every luxury life has to afford with more wealth than anybody could spend in a lifetime or many lifetimes. No satisfaction. Trying, trying, making his living by trying for that satisfaction, but not arriving. Imagine being a Christian under severe persecution, singing, I have Jesus and all this. Just having Jesus is more than I deserve. It's, it's from beyond. It's an endowment from heaven. It comes from God the Father Almighty. It makes all wealth and human possessions pale in significance, not even worthy to bring up. I have Jesus and all this. Contentment. Freedom from the love of money. Escalates into what we read in verse 6. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I have confidence. I'm not living at my wit's end. I'm not scared to death about what tomorrow will bring. I'm not in a panic over how I'll pay my bills. I have confidence because the Lord is my helper. I could never, ever earn enough to pay for a single sin. I could never buy forgiveness from God. I could never be delivered from the guilt I deserve. God has already accomplished all of that for me. So no, I'm not going to live at my wit's end over finances. My God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who has created all things, he's my God. My Father, my Father is God the Father Almighty. I want to challenge you to think of Sunday certainly as a day of rest but also as a day of memorial, the uh, first day of the week, an opportunity to come together as God's people and say, look, before anything else, the Lord has brought us through another week. 
Look at how good he's been. Look at how faithful he's been. One more week of God's faithfulness and goodness to celebrate here in worship as we call upon the name of the Lord together with confidence saying, the Lord is my helper. A reason for confidence. Think of that verse in Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace that will lead me home. Sunday is a day to think about that. Through so many trials, through so many afflictions, through so many ups and downs, through so many difficulties, through so many heartaches, the Lord has already brought me by his grace. And on Sunday, I look at that, and I say that same grace will lead me home, will bring me to the finish line of the race set before me. Freedom from the love of money, contentment with what you have, whatever that might be, confidence in the Lord as your helper, and then the climax of these verses fearlessness. Can you imagine if if there really was a self-help book that could teach fearlessness? It would be the bestseller of all time, and I I suppose we already have it. It's the Bible, not quite a self-help book, but certainly the book that says over and over, more commanded than any other command in in the Bible, don't be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. Here it says it again, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Before anything else, look at the declaration. I will not be afraid. That's what it takes. Maybe being fearless doesn't just happen. Maybe fear encroaches on every one of us. Maybe if we let our nerves and our anxieties get the best of us, every one of us would be up all night long in knots about the day before us. But you were empowered by the word of God to say emphatically, to declare, I will not be afraid. I am called to being fearless through the fear of God. Again, written to a persecuted people. But a verse for each of you. I I live in the same world you do. I, I think about it frequently. What is the future for Christians in the United States? What does it look like for a Christian in the workplace? How are we to live? We believe the Bible teaches certain things. We believe that God created man, male and female after his own image. It's not our idea, it's God's. We believe that Marriage is God's idea and that it rightfully occurs between a man and a woman. We believe what God has to say about right and wrong. We are not embarrassed about it. But what does that mean for us in the workplace? You come to this verse here and you realize God's not going to abandon you going to abandon you he's not going to call you to live in this world and 
to be out there as a testimony for him without coming to your aid, without being your confidence, without being your helper, without being your guide, without being the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and teaches you through the word of God to navigate all of the situations a life that life hurls at you. He's your helper. You need not be afraid. Besides, when we talk about fear, we're, we're really talking about what man can do to you. What can man do to you when God is on your side? He's already saved you from your sins. He's already provided his son in your place. Will he now abandon you when you wither, when you are uh, under the criticism, of, under the scrutiny of the world around you? No, the Lord is your helper. With confidence, you can proceed fearlessly. God's simple recipe for courage, no matter what the situation, the question, the rhetorical question, what can man do to me? Again, written to a persecuted church. If man does his worst, if at the hands of man you are brought to your death, what is that except for being ushered into the immediate presence of God, your Savior? What can man do to me? A rhetorical question, a simple recipe for courage. Investigate all the circumstances and situations of your life and ask that simple question, what can man do to me? God is on my side. Free from the love of money, content with what you have, confident in calling upon the Lord as your helper, fearless by remembering God the Father Almighty is your God and Father. And come back with me for a moment to that self-help section. Just bursting with books and the latest, greatest guru and author. Think about it. Self-help. By definition, it all depends on you in the self-help section. It's ironic almost because it's saying, here's all the things you need, and it's on you to get there. Think about what we've spent this time thinking about. Freedom from the love of money. Contentment with what you have. Confidence in the Lord as your helper. And fearlessness because your God is almighty God what can man do to you? It's astonishing. It's not dependent on you at all. Everything offered in these verses, everything that draws you to a place where you can live resting in him, confident in him, fearless in him, content in him, free from the love of money in him, all of it is because of God because of his grace and kindness towards you, not because of anything you've done. In a sense, the opposite of self-help. Entirely because God has reached into a life you couldn't help yourself out of and says, here I am. 
Claim me. Look to me. Turn in faith to me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Have me as your God. And all these things will be added unto you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Father in heaven, we pray that you